Welcome to In Such Tilinquicatl. This is a podcast about poetic thinking where we share with you a different perspective of the social world. Every episode, we take a topic or a concept and we use the lens of philosophy, psychology, mythology, and art to analyze the wonderful horrors of the modern world. Today, we continue our exploration of the topic of death and its connection with the end of things. In this episode, we will discuss two forces, life and death, including their relationship with love and how they shape society. Find what you love and let it kill you is a well-known quote in pop culture, misattributed to Charles Bukowski. Nonetheless, it's worth exploring. So we see this phrase, find what you love and let it kill you on t-shirts, uh, as an inspirational quote in social media, on memes, uh, with a photo of a horizon, blue horizon in the background. And what we're going to do today is deconstruct this phrase. Of course, initially this phrase means that we should pursue our passions, but it also has two opposing forces, the force of death by killing and the force of love, so living. And in this sense, we of course have to go back to uh, Sigmund Freud, uh, the founder of psych psychoanalysis and talk about his very controversial death drive, Thanatos. Is it and, very controversial? Yeah, because it's been like a lot of psychologists and psychoanalysts wanted to discard it and went against it and said that this was not a thing that exists in humans as like naturally as an instinct, right? And then we have, of course, the, the one that we do like, which is the, the drive to, to live, to live. Um, the sexual drive, the libido, and therefore yeah. eros. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the beyond the pleasure principle and also civilization and discontents. In civilization and discontents, Freud talks about the um, eros and thanatos in terms of civilization and society. And in beyond the pleasure principle, Andrea, Andreita, what can you tell? Um, well, with Freud, let's Freud and, and many uh, disciplines use. Um, words of mythology to, or religion, to explain uh, their own paradigms. And this is the case with Eros and Thanatos. I would like to start there uh, before entering uh, the Freudian territory, mm -hmm. which is uh, Eros can be read as a god and in origin as well as Thanatos. And well, as all gods, they have mostly various versions of their uh, well, as most mythological characters of their uh, birth. Uh, and in this sense, um, Eros is in, in one myth, um, it's attributed that he is born of Venus, but in the Hesiod myth, in, in the Theogony, Eros is one of the fourth primal gods. So it's, it's the earth, the sky, the um, the below the the, the hell uh, the underworld hell, hell the underworld the the tartarus and um, eros and and in this sense eros has this tonic um, quality which is ambivalent eros in in mythology is not necessarily related to staying alive or or things or or love as as a certain, following a certain Christian morale, for instance. Mm -hmm. And Thanatos is also, well, the god of death. And, in, and well, that's it, this is a different dimension. It's concerned with, with, with the dying and, and nothing, not necessarily with wanting to die, which is what, what Freud puts behind the, the, the Thanatic drive, the death drive. So that difference being said or stated between uh, what can mean uh, the, the erotic in a mythological sense or in a psychoanalytic sense, as well as the tanatic, um, I will move to Beyond the Pleasure Principle, where in that essay, uh, which I kind of quoted on the last episode, uh, Freud proposes the following image, which is, uh, there was death. Death is what, you know, the death, there was nothing, there was, or that, that is like the Freudian nothing, death, deathness. And suddenly, 
life erupted, interrupting death. And the first thing that thing did, that, that thing did, he says, it has to be to regress. That has to be the first defense regarding life, like life's obstacle. And regression for the first thing that interrupts death, regression, what, what's before this life is death for this thing that has newly erupted in the dimension of life, which for Freud interruptions in the vastness of death. And the vastness and, of silence, which is- Yes, the silence, very, yeah. The silence uh, of death. Yeah, and which is very, uh, very typical of the Western symbolism, death, silence. We will maybe later uh, link that to why certain goddesses are also linked to death through the fact that they don't speak too much, for instance. That, 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 that is also in the Freudian myth of this because he, he talks about that regarding um, the goddess Aphrodite and uh, several Shakespearean characters. But anyway, um, so he says life, but once life started, it cannot stop, which is sort of what we ended in, in the, the note we ended in the last episode with Gete. Like once this party started, it will never stop. So just get in, get with it. And in that getting with it, what this cell that has repeated itself variously, because this is Freud trying to be its most scientific. This is Freud at its most scientific. This rep constant repetition of this replication of the cell because of the, of the, of the love drive, of the, of the life drive, sorry, the, in this process, the cell acknowledges something or the living thing acknowledges something, which is, I will die, I will perish. This is the destiny to perish. I will perish by my own means. That becomes the chosen destiny. And there is the thing this, that Freud explains this in order to, or sets this image in order to explain the sinister relationship of the defense mechanism that in a way has helped you to stay alive, but in other ways is also killing you because the repression is so big that you mostly, uh, well, you enjoy less of life, etc. This whole thing that creates, well, the, the theory of neurosis, which mainly is why are we so unhappily repeating these senseless patterns that lead nowhere because that's what or that make is. us suffer that make us suffer or that make us suffer yes because we expect a different outcome yet we do the same thing this is why the first thing we need to do in any new thing we start learning or experiencing is to let the guard down which is the first thing we'll Freud will talk about in the therapeutic in the clinic process which is there is so so much resistance of the of the to experience new things because it has attached this repetition of defenses. Uh, it has it completely linked to its survival. And that is not necessarily the case because we, because most, most of these defense mechanisms, this is the paradox. Yes, they let us live, but they're also the result of a lot of, um, misreadings of reality and in this not wanting to step away from the repetition of those habits we also prevent the dissolution of what we believe to be a unity right i i think this is also what uh, freud says in terms of the uh, pleasure principle and the reality principle and the reality principle oh yeah is when like so just to explain a little bit um what this means in terms of unity the ego, or our, we understand ourselves um, as unified, continuous beings. And we, think of, we can think about this in terms of identity, of social identity. I believe that everything I do makes sense and that uh, there's a reason for the things that I do. And my personality has to do with my interests and my passions. And my passions have to do 
uh, with my profile and social media and so on and so forth. So we, we experience ourselves as a unit, right? So when it, in order to welcome the, or to let our guard down and then have an interruption of those patterns or of, of, of the things that I believe uh, that, that presents that unity potentially as vulnerable, right? Right. So um, in this sense, what's, this is important because Freud will relate this fear of annihilation to the Oedip, in the Oedipus complex to the father, for instance, which is also, uh, according to Freud, the, uh, the setter of reality in, in terms of family. Can I just uh, contextualize before you go into the father uh, and the, the, the idea of the self? Um, yeah. Just to, to, to make a distinction between our idea of the self in the West and our idea of the self in, in Eastern cultures, for example, China. So I said that we understand ourselves as a unity, right? And so in that case, if you wanted to visualize the self, you could think of an avocado, right? where the pit of the avocado is what we understand as our soul. And of course, Sigmund Freud is coming from this Western tradition of like the, 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 the essence of who we are exists as individuals, right? Your soul or your personality or your mind or uh, depending on whether you're talking about a religious or a secular scientific quote unquote um, context. Whereas in um, certain Eastern cultures, for example, in um, Ch Chinese confusion, um, tradition in the Chinese Confucian tradition, um, the, the image is more of an onion. So mm -hmm. that the onion has different layers, right? So each layer- There's no is, center, there's no real center. There's no, there's no pit, right? So yeah. it's like, if, if you peel the onion, uh, so the, the, the whatever, the uh, outer layer of the onion would be, you know, maybe you are a civil servant. And then the next layer you are, um, a father and then you are a husband and then you are a son and then you are a whatever the member of whatever community right and if you peel all these layers off there is no self so when we're talking there's about nothing. there's nothing so if we talk about the reality and the uh, pleasure principle with freud we are starting from the assumption that there is a unity at the at the core of who we are and the fear of annihilation comes from the idea. Yeah, yes, yes, something like this. Um, and be, definitely, this is also why uh, the post-Freudian uh, school of, psych of psychoanalysis, in particular, Juliet Mitchell in her book, Mad Men and Medusas, will say that the death, um, the origins, well, hysteria has been genderized and we must de-genderize hysteria. And she goes way back to this essay of Beyond the Pleasure Principle because it's this fear of annihilation regarding not only the father in this sense, in, in this traditional Oedipal con uh, complex context, but also the lateral relationship. So what this also means is that, yes, we, we continue to fear everything, not only vertical order, you know, vertical cosmic order, patriarchal cosmic order, but also, uh, and this also can mean, well, and even maybe from below, you know, even uh, yeah. this regarding, for instance, uh, uh, many, uh, uh, in many cases in, in psychotic uh, parenting, which is this anxiety regarding this this other that is so tiny yet is conceived as but now now i now i am in jeopardy in because and that's actually a trope in horror films right the, the being afraid of the children um if you have if you guys have watched the Bab babadook but yeah. it's a um, horror film uh, came out. I haven't, but I've, I've been, I've been spoiled ago. by my students. And uh, the mother is at some points afraid of her own son. And, and this is like a common, it's, it's meant to be very like anti-natural to be afraid of your own children. But at the same time, uh, it's a common trope in terms of this, like what you're talking about. Um, and Oh yeah, yeah, and I have another. I have another example that also follows this because that 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 the Baba Duke follows the the vertical relationship between mother and son, which is mm -hmm. a bigger thing and a smaller thing. Mm -hmm. And for instance, the orphanage, no, the orphanage. That's that's the word. 
Yeah, the orphanage. The orphanage. Maybe that's not the word. Well, the not the name of the movie, which is uh, it was produced by Del Toro. I don't remember the name of the it's director. The I'm sorry. Okay, good. The orphanage. Well, she's a mother indeed. As as we see the character as an older woman. If you if you haven't seen it, go watch it. We we meet the character as an older woman, but her fears are completely. Child bound, childhood bound, and in that childhood, the he who might annihilate me, which is this little kid called, I don't remember the name either, but the one that wears the mask, mm-hmm. uh, can, can is the one that frightens me, that that can annihilate me in the fantasy, and there is no, I mean, she's not afraid of the foster of of, of the lady that that's in charge of the orphanage, but of someone that is just like her or could be just like her. And the terrific thing is that in the end, because she constantly sees this kid with the mask and she thinks this house is haunted, it was her son mm-hmm. wearing the mask that he found. Right. Which is that she hasn't, which, well, what Juliet Mitchell would say is he, she is hysterically uh, uh, fixated in this past, which doesn't have to do with the Oedipus complex, because this is what Freud does. Freud links the Oedipus complex to to this, uh, because of this fear of annihilation through the father or the mother. And what the anti-Oedipal school of psychoanalysis says is this fear of annihilation can come from not only this, this is not a fixated myth. It might be your myth, Sigmund Freud, but it's not, it's not for humanity. Anyway, where, where should we jump next? So how about we kill our father? Continuing the Freudian myth, uh, in, which, is, which will lead to civilization and discontent, in Totem and Tabu, which is like it's a two-parter, right? In Totem and Tabu, he uh, elaborates the following myth that surely must have occurred in many places as the myth dimension invites us to believe, but it's not absolute. We must also think that. And that is also what the post, um, the anti-Oedipal school will constantly try to invite us to think in this way. So Freud will invite us to think upon an- another image, which is uh, the ganging up of the siblings to murder the father. He does talk about sibling rivalry, but not in the extent that uh, Juliet Mitchell says we must reconsider thinking uh, in terms of of the death drive, etc. But anyway, he does say this. We, the siblings see in each other, not the enemy, but the possibility of gang together against the enemy. Freud uh, will say that only for, for men, but this this can could also this could also be thought in terms of just what is what is above and what's below in terms mm-hmm. of power. Anyway, um, so after the killing of the father, the guilt this this killing provokes is what will lead to the obsessive. Uh, compulsive projection of God, mm-hmm. of God's all-seeing eye. And the law of the Father, the law of God, will be installed. So in relation to this uh, from Totem and Taboo, um, Freud talks about, just going back to death drive and the sex drive, um, the way the death drive expresses itself. So Freud says that, of course, we are internally predisposed to aggression, right? And that there are two reasons that we created society and civilization. One is because we need to work together and that involves the killing of the father as well in terms of like creating a morality or, or a conscience. But um, the, to work together to, to, com- to deal with hardships, like mm-hmm. weather-wise or like, you know. Uh, we must stand together. We must stand together. And also um, create society to protect those who we love um, or the object of our love, which could be family um, or is the base of that is the family, right? So if you think about the, the sex drive or the, or the drive to life 
as the drive to build something, to create something, to create not just life in the terms of like, you know, the, what, the child, what results from sex or what can potentially result from sex creating life. Uh, but also this drive is exponentially um, applied to everything, right? To, to build. It generates. But it generates. But at the same time, we have the opposing force, which is um, we want to create life, but we also want to control it. And, and we it. want to build in nature, but we want to control it. And by controlling nature, we are also risking the annihilation of that and of our of ourselves. Um, so when we talk about uh, the death drive, we're talking about that they're, they're never separate, right? We talk about Eros and Thanatos as separate forces, but in reality, there is no occasion, there's very few occasions where they don't stand next to each other, right? And uh, if you think about it, like in simple terms in our individual lives, you know, desire to create, to study, to get a better job, to have a relationship, uh, to have friendships. It's often uh, goes hand in hand with, um, you know, becoming workaholic, having too much work, uh, uh, you know, uh, inflicting our aggression onto those who we love. And, and ourselves, because we tend to smoke. If, we, if we're smokers, we tend to smoke more, sleep less, eat shitty, this whole thing. Because to engage with responsibility into passion, which is these decisions we do like to make a career and etc. Well, it takes an ethic that sometimes we're not willing to do, which is a, a different set of, of, of life, of life rules or, or, or a, of a morale. There is what Freud would say, because this in terms of, of the pathology of this of psychic um, maladies which was Freud was studying in terms of why if civilization is one of our biggest creations etc it has this what he discovers is it has this sadomasochistic or in its origin yeah and it's he, completely unconscious and that is maybe that. the reason why we end up killing ourselves with what we love without knowing right. Right. And also he says that like man or and, and man as in human beings trade uh, happiness for security, for the security of the, of the collective. Right. And so this uh, aggression that they would have exerted out physically to others, they, it becomes internalized in the, in the ways that you mentioned as well, by smoking, blah, blah, but it becomes internalized aggression. And this is where he says comes our sense of guilt, which we were kind of talking about before we started recording. Um, why as uh, Westerners and Catholics that we are, um, guilt is such a powerful emotion. And of course he, he draws this back to the, the father as a It generates father. society. If you don't have guilt, exactly. you don't work together. You don't... It allows society to survive. There is this internalized notion of what is, of what is incorrect or what is evil. Um, and he also talks about it in terms of uh, like this death drive being internalized and needs for punishment so why do i and this is very this is very interesting because he says he, is, he gives an example in civilization of discontents about um how people justify to themselves that something bad has happened and they're like oh i must have done something wrong and we see this like this kind of like irrational thinking yeah magic thinking magic, magical thinking right magical like thinking. oh like or 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 uh you know, bad things come in three, right? Like, so yeah. one, two, three, and like, which now is, I'm done. It, yes, it's very I'm close done. To, to, this, to this kind of thinking, which is, okay, so if something happened to me is because I was bad or like, even like this, like this idea that like, uh, there is going to be a um, retribution, no, justice, just retribution. No, retribution. Yeah. And, and it, it's not. This it's, is why you sacrifice. This is why you sacrifice to exactly. God. So, yeah. so God will not, you know, take his retribution. Which, because it's it's it mythical. Will... It's not rational. It's not, it's not. Yeah, rational. it's mythical. It's not, it's not rational. Yes. And, and one of the other things that he says um, that is also part of, um, well, a lot of other philosophers have talked about this one clause which is love thy neighbor as much as you love thyself which from the bible right yeah and Nietzsche will say I will look for the one who's not here 
<laughs> I mean, this is a very controversial, well, not controversial, but very criticized in philosophy, uh, this, this quote, because um, what Freud's take on it is, there is nothing that goes more against the human nature than loving another the way you love yourself, especially your neighbor. It's completely yeah. like, you know, it's not something that you, a conclusion that you jump to. Uh, it's No, this is, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, it's meant to go against that aggressive impulse. Like, it's meant to be that cultural superego. It's meant to prevent you from, like, you know, like, and, and we feel this aggression all the time. Like, I feel it literally every day, you know, like, so when somebody frustrates me at work or whatever, you're like, can I just, like, make this person disappear? And, like, you know, you sometimes we fantasize about having like conflicts with other people and engaging with in discussion and argument and I, if I was there I would tell them all these things and it just what do you do you smile of course and it's, it's very entertaining but this is no but also you smile because that you do that we do that as an apotropaic um uh, rasgo how do you say a trait a feature yeah. and apotropaic is uh, to show exactly the opposite to the other that we think can produce us wrong. So, for instance, in the there's a, a vocal method uh, for acting that's called Linklater that it's uh, was founded by Christine Linklater who she passed away not so long ago, and she calls she a feature uh, to work the technique. It's this which is if you're not for the for those who are only listening what i'm doing is i'm doing a wide smile i am my cheekbones are really high my eyes are really small my my eyebrows are eye up as well and she calls this the animal smile and this it comes from showing your teeth as an act of aggression to the other that as the first way of <laughs> reacting to the other and the smile as this humanized civilizatory trait or of the first traits of you know human evolution that it has become only to welcome the other so Sorry. and we do this even sometimes when we're rude uh, unaware we're just really i don't know we're just un unaware and we're rude to someone immediately to correct we will smile to invite again and say no i'm sorry here i'll show you my teeth when in the rest of the mammal world, show you my teeth means, okay, you're on it? Are you on it? Are you the one that's gonna kill me? Yeah. Just to give one more example of, uh, of this daily death drive versus the drive to life, um, uh, more relevant to our um, current, still current state of pandemic <laughs> is that, um, and also not to feel guilty or, or ashamed of these kind of aggressive thoughts. But okay, so first I'll give you the example of the drive to life. So like a, a lot of people, when, when we started, when we went into lockdown, um, especially in more, more restrictive countries, more with more wintry weather that like, for example, Ireland, um, a lot of people, you know, just went into mode of like, I'm gonna work from bed in my pajamas. And then they quickly realized that that, that didn't really make them feel- That didn't work. That didn't make them feel very good. Um, and there, there were others, uh, and I will include myself in this category, but like I, I border in neurotic, right? Like um, where I, you know, I continued my routine as usual, waking up at six in the morning, putting on clothes as if I was going to work, uh, putting on makeup. Like uh, there, there are, of course, there's a spectrum of, you know, the, the extremes and I'll talk about the extremes again when we go back to the to the question of suicide, where one one extreme is to completely, absolutely, you know, pretend that do nothing, do nothing, give give in to the uh, despair or whatever, or the ex or, or the other extreme, which is you know really go against it, right? And and again, these are two uh, expressions of the same force, which is the the relationship between death and life. And when I was talking about uh, not feeling guilty about having these thoughts that I want to kill um, a lot of people, I'm just gonna read a quote from the civilization and its discontents at the very end of, um, of the book is just one sentence. He says, Freud says he knows something for certain. The value judgments of human beings are undoubtedly guided by their desire 
for happiness and thus amount to an attempt to back up their illusions with arguments. So what he's saying is that uh, the, the, the moral our, our, uh, judgments that we make, for example, I shouldn't really be thinking about killing anybody in my family or in my work or whatever. Or myself. This, you know, not, not, to, not to judge these morally, because in, in any case, these are just an expression of my desire for happiness and not to and, and not part of me still not wanting to comply with what society expects of me. So we're always going to have this kind of like um, ambivalent relationship with this conscience, with this cultural conscience in a way. So continuing with this idea of these two opposing forces, another, uh, there's, an, there's even a song uh, it's called Dying to Live by a Mexican band. I think the band used to be called Vaquero. Uh, in the early 2000s. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they tried to have a single. Ah, bueno, matenme porque me muero. That's another one. Oh, but kill that's me because I'm mm -hmm. dying. Uh, but, uh, so are we dying to live or are we living to die? And I'm going to go to existentialist and hot French man, Albert Camus, uh, to the very often quoted the myth of Sisyphus, um, when he talks about the absurd. So the absurd, and I'm going to also refer back to Freud's uh, not telling us not to feel guilty, but want to kill other people. He, he talks about uh, this, that we realize the absurd when we see a man uh, on a, in a phone booth. Now we can say we, can, we see a man on, the, on, on his smartphone um, or with their AirPods, talking to the airports, well, talking to somebody on the phone, but yeah, really, just the way it looks, yeah. he looks is like he's talking to himself. And then we get a feeling that we want to kill this man. Like we cannot bear the sight of this person. And of course, anybody can relate to this feeling uh, when you're standing in queue uh, in the supermarket or like, uh, you know, if you're observing crowds of people, uh, you can relate to this. Relate, yes. And, but what he means also in terms of what is the absurd is like when, when we realize that uh, after our, in our everyday dealings, there is absolutely no sense or sometimes very little joy to it. And so and in that sense, just let me point out, there's the, this, this frame of someone suddenly getting obsessed with someone talking on the phone or, you know, doing stuff like this, mm -hmm. you know, these things. This is uh, this will this is a fortune changer in most fictions. This is the moment where you know the killing begins or whatever because and that's the, kind of where 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 um, Camus goes in a way. He says, well, there's two ways of responding to the absurd. Once you've realized that you have, and and very in, in a way very Freudian or very Western. That, that there is no unity, that there is no going back to the unity, that there is always going to be a nostalgia. It's a false paradise either way. Exactly. That once we realize the absurd, we're always feeling nostalgic of when things weren't so clearly absurd. He says, once we come to this realization of the absurd and we are like infinitely, constantly nostalgic, and I, I very much relate to this, then and there are two options. Well, there's three options, but initially there's two. One is to commit suicide uh, because I want to negate the absurd. And the other one is to take the leap of faith, the Kierkegaardian and the religious also leap of faith, which is this makes sense because God said so. Um, or this makes sense because whatever other meta metaphysical reason that you want to come up with that gives sense and meaning to your life. Um, that being veganism or whatever. Yes, also. That you that's want right. That's, that's what, to. yes, that's what George Steiner says about psychoanalysis and, 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 and Marxism that we spoke, uh, I think, in the last episode as well, how they have this kind of religious structures, even though they try to be really scientific. And in that sense, yeah, so veganism also also kind of has this drive to a false paradise any kind of ism that gives ism. you know that, that human that humans humans we do this born do to this. do this born like this this very uh, born to fail western western idea that we are born to do something right like i was born oh, yeah. to be whatever uh filmmaker but no you were not born to do anything sweetheart just you know yeah 
settle down. Um, and so uh, he thinks that these two extremes uh, are the two responses of the absurd towards the absurd, but that the, the real one, of course, as the existentialist that he is, is like to you know fully embody the absurd and say, well, nothing has meaning, and I'm going to embrace the meaninglessness and the void and the silence, the irrefutable silence of the world, which is what we're also talking about in terms of death. And so he brings up the myth of Sisyphus. Um, which you might have a more complete version of uh, who Sisyphus was, but he is sent to the underworld um, to have push a rock up a hill and then um, walk with it back down and push it again. And then, so do you want to say a little the, bit? I will, the only thing that I will say is that the underworld is known for this eternal, uh, eternal punishments. Mm -hmm. And Sisyphus is famous for his eternal punishment. And yes, it's linked because since he does this repeated uh, action, it gets linked to, well, to our day to day. Right. And, and yeah, and so what uh, Camus says is that um, the point that is not talked about is the moment where Sisyphus walks back towards the rock and he walks back in a to what he believes quite nicely and poetically in a resolute in a resolute way towards that rock that he'll push again and that's where the famous line comes from i one can imagine sisyphus happy because the 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 idea that he wants to convey is that we should find happiness in this daily pushing the rock up without any meaning to the rock or to the pushing Really? Well, what, what's interesting is that he's being punished because he tricked death. Right. He tricked Thanatos. Mm -hmm. Or in some versions, or even, um, but uh, gods concerning the underworld, Hades, Thanatos. So in this sense, you can't trick death. So uh, it, this is also an, an, an interesting thing to put to the, to, to bring to the table in terms also to the fact that, yeah, to embrace this void uh, is also to embrace that life is punishment. Right, yeah. Which is a and complete- in a case, in a case, And again, in, in this way, we also go back to Freud, right? Because he says that life in society comes with this sense of like self-punishment of guilt because we have traded our happiness for security and it comes with all of this, right? So it's kind of like, that is the, the despair and the angst that the existentialists talk about, the realization of this, of like the, the suffering. Um, uh, yeah, but we can all we can all also link this to the not only to, to this very Western existential school of thought, because the life is suffering. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that is a very Eastern, uh, you know, way of thinking, which is just, yes. So, so which is... That is why Freud says beyond the pleasure principle, right? Because it's not about pleasure. Actually, we don't stay in the pleasure zone mm -hmm. because there is also a linkage between pleasure and death. Yeah. Because to die was the first desire. So he says, no, no. What the, what the living thing wants is this sort of, homeostasis or how whatever this the translation Balance. of this bio yeah, yeah. but biological almost he he goes to this almost biological balance which is why he says the problem with society is that it represses certain uh desires that get uh somatized in the body and will sicken the body so society is not working because society can be also the root of a sickness. This is why, but well, anyway, returning to beyond the pleasure principle, this is also the, 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 sadom, the sadomasochistic or the ambivalent origin of the desire and of pleasure itself, uh, which is, uh, which in, in, the, in the Western canon, there is this constant repetition as a theme of, you, if you found an, if you find a new paradise, there's for some reason 
they leave. The, the best ex example of this is the, is the man that found passion in his travels, but he also, he, he never stays in this, in this paradises because he's going back to an even better paradise, which is the myth of Odysseus. Mm -hmm. And I say it exemplifies, but, and it's usually, it's genderized for the male, for, for the men, for the, you know, patriarchal male, but, or how, how, how it was called before, which was the dead white male, mm. uh, the dead white male. But it can be, if, if we strip ourselves from that problem of gender, which we can attribute to the Greeks as uh, first, as Westerners, uh, well, this problem that Odysseus has is ours as well. We have to go back to an even better one. There's, there's a bigger project that whatever it is, that's, that's here. And that is, and that, and that is also the relationship be between how passion can also become the way or, or the path as Nietzsche will say. Yes, of course, in its origin, passion is pathology, is disease, mm -hmm. but in the beginning, also the, our first desire, which is the beyond the pleasure principle thesis, desire was to die. We must acknowledge this. When something goes wrong, we just, we want to die. We want to just don't die. Just, I rather <laughs> die than yeah. deal with this. We say this as if it was yeah, nothing, totally, yeah. but... So just to um, answer the, uh, the question through via St. Teresa, who we've talked about before because of her close friendship with God, to answer the questions, am I dying to live or am I living to die? I'm just going to read a, a short verse by her. So you see how strong love is, life. Do not hinder me. You see, all I need to do to gain you is to lose you. Come on already, sweet death. Come quickly, death, that I die because I do not die. Yeah, the union, because the union, death is the union to the, the paradise is going back. And, but that is why in, in the Christian or Catholic, Christian Catholic tradition, suicide is a mustn't. So she will stand in this agony that gives her pleasure because if she stays in, in, in life, she has this self, this identity to worship God. So, and that is what we must do once we are alive. This is why ethically Christianity or, or um, Catholicism, well, yeah, Christianity goes against uh, suicide, but not the beginnings of Christianity, not the Gnostic sects, which we also talked about in, yeah, in, in the yeah. beginnings in essence, Catholicity. Mm -hmm which will also take it to their own personal death. Actually, they do see suicide as a way, as a manner of the highest mystical experience and a must because it, it shows that the onion thing, it shows the onion, it shows that there is, there is no self, but you, my love. And just to go back to this, uh, to, to, to the initial quote, which is find what you love and let it kill you, um, and to this idea of the self, uh, this is a very, again, evidently a very Western understanding of what, how to, how to live, right? Is that the, what we're told, especially uh, millennials and people of this generation around this generation are like to pursue your passions, to pursue your interests, to be authentic, right? And to be authentic yeah. means to find what you love and let it kill you. Um, and once again, going back to the onion, uh, this is not necessarily the idea of identity that's always been around uh, before. And we can think about this in terms of Mexican society as well. Uh, what was most important, it was to fulfill the role, the, fulfill the role of the mother, fulfill the role of the eldest, um, the eldest brother, for example, that like, at least in my family, it continues to be extremely important like what they are and you brother. even have a, and you even have a grandfather and still the older brother wins that's i had a that's... grandmother and then the the oldest brother yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so it's the 
So we switched, uh, and we are going to uh, have a specific episode to discuss these changes in, in how we understand identity um, from this idea of the fulfilling a certain role to being authentic to oneself, to being true to oneself, right? And pursuing one's passions, which as many millennials have found out, including myself, um, pursuing your passion does not necessarily mean that you're going to pay your bills. Uh, no, and that it might kill you because you can, you can be stupid, as Nietzsche will say, in the way Nietzsche says it in the following quote. All passions have a face when they are merely disastrous, when they drag down their victim with the way of their stupidity. In view of the development of stupidity in passion, war was declared on passion itself. Its destruction was plotted. All the old moral monsters are agreed on this. Il fa tuer les passions. Destroying the passions and cravings merely as a preventive measure against their stupidity. Today, this itself strikes us as merely another acute form of stupidity. We no longer admire dentists who pluck out teeth so that they will not hurt anymore. So this is also, also parallels Freud's uh, trip with guilt, guilt trip, where it says, because we don't even admire dentists that do aggression upon us because we will do good. He has, that will do good on us. He has another aphorism, I think it's in the gay science uh, that also says this, like, um, you must find what is sick in yourself and kill it. That is life. Killing is life. Now you can read this, the interpret, the hermeneut, the, the interpretation of this can be varied. And this is why also Nietzsche, as many other poets and philosophers, uh, have been um, ill-associated with uh, sociopaths. And also we see Nietzsche here again, as, I, as we said, defending passion. Passion as a way of life. Uh, in this sense, this is why it's so important for him, the, the Greek notion of know, know thyself, the know thyself and, and find measure in what you do. So, um, well, yeah, so, so, you, so you enjoy this, yes, tragic and maybe absurd existence. A part of the, the, the affirmation of the passion, like you said, coming from the pathological is to have the, to, to again, have a balance between the passion that revives and the, and the parts that kill. Yeah, the di yes, the very Dionysiac thing of the regeneration of how, how an affirmation of passion can also be re regeneration, right? Sorry. Yes. And also, I was just going to go back to the psychoanalytic tradition of um, in order to live better or more consciously, we need to become aware of the parts that, of us that we should kill. That yeah, and, and that we're going to die as well, that we, we've also discussed uh, in other episodes. And uh, in this sense, um, what I find very chilling in terms of for instance, propaganda, uh, well, no, publicity, it's not propaganda. Oh, yes, publicity is, for instance, there's this um, brand of cars called Mazda. I don't know if you have it over there, whatever. But in here in Mexico, it has this tags like fury, passion. Of course. You go, wow, wow, okay, right. You want me to kill myself? You're like, you, you, want, me to, you want me to associate your car with all of this canonical tradition of, of you know, re relating ourselves with death, life, and love. And also there's in, in Mexico, Telcel, which is the main uh, cell phone distributor. Telecommunications, the major yeah, communications. Yes, communications. Yeah. Companies. I'm sorry. I'm... And of course, uh, Telcel is owned by somebody who- Oh, Carlos Slim, right. The richest He's... man in the world, Carlos Slim. Was, yes, be, yes, yeah. was. Yeah. Bill Gates is now again. Anyway, they all meet in in this in Davos. There, Bill Gates, Carlos Slim, uh, the 
Elon, Elon Musk, whatever. Certainly talking uh, about their passions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And how their passions will take, you know, take us to take Mars. Take us to Mars. Uh, anyway, because they are the passionate ones, the worthy ones, the, the chosen ones. Yes. Uh, anyway, going back to, to, to Nietzsche. Um, no, Telcel. Going back oh, to no, Nietzsche. sorry, Telcel. Going back to Telcel, um, it has these tags that's called, like, living is amazing. Living is incredible. That would be the textual translation. Living is incredible. And we have this, well, before the meme, it was like the inspirational quotes, like, and how all these inspirational quotes actually increase the death drive. Yeah. So the hallmark culture, instead of uh, inducing uh, life, the is, will to is, is, yes, is death inducing. We, Yes, the dead. Yeah, will the to, will to, to destroy, self-destroy. Um, and so, unknowingly, unknowingly, because it's completely masked. Because it's living is amazing. It's American beauty. Sorry, that's it. Yeah. With good old um, Kevin Spacey. Oh, that now, actually one Persona non grata. I know. And when that happened, we once, uh, well, we, we, we named him Kevin Spicy. <laughs> you know his spices sometimes are wrong for you so what he did was wrong so now he's getting spicy <laughs> yes um and on that spicy note uh, with the absurd and how incredible life is we close our fifth episode and thank you for listening uh like us on instagram and subscribe to our channel we're trying to create and pursue happiness <laughs> My name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Celeste. Thanks.